Hello everyone, um, welcome to the first uh, officially unnamed as of right now podcast. Um, I'm Seth Chambliss, I am currently doing this podcast regarding music for the first time. So when I say that, I should probably clarify. I'm wanting to do this podcast surrounding the music industry um, and many different things that go into that. So I'm talking about things like production and um, specific artists, maybe specific genres or just things that are happening within the musical sphere. So basically anything that tickles my fancy at the time, so to speak. So. A good example would be if I was talking about an artist album that came out or if something that an artist said was interesting to me at the time, I might come on here and talk about it at length. So that's that's generally what I'm going to be talking about. But um, I'm just going to kind of work off of bullet points for this first one. It's just mostly going to be monologuing about, you know, my music tastes, how I feel music is going to change, and it's just a couple of things I found interesting. So I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Um, I first just kind of wanted to give the audience sort of an idea of the background of my personal music taste. So um, I have have a pretty interesting, I know that's kind of cliche, but I have a pretty interesting choice of music wherein like I enjoy popular music. I've always enjoyed, you know, very typical pop. I, I even enjoy bubblegum pop from time to time. I think it's extremely interesting how you can make something so... Um, sweet all the time and make it different each time and make it interesting with these little quirks you can put in through production or through your songwriting or through your voice this that and the other but um on the opposite end of the musical spectrum i think stuff like metal and hard rock and industrial hip-hop is just really going places recently that i think is truly indicative of how interesting music can be across the genre spectrum and so i kind of like to go across the entire range from those two specific points. So in general, just mostly popular genres are what I focus on. So I have a pretty decent background in um, R&B and alternative R&B because those are kind of what first got me actually into music to begin with. Um, I also tend to lean towards rock just because that's what I grew up with during the, you know, mid to late 2000s going into the 2010s. Um, I have a pretty decent background in hip hop, just got used to that with, you know, second half of 2010s as, you know, things like trap rap and, you know, R&B, hip hop, hip pop all came onto the spectrum and I just sort of grabbed different artists that I thought were interesting and eventually got to the point where I knew all that stuff too. So I I understand, you know, kind of what's going on in the fields of R&B and hip-hop and pop, which are all kind of on the same spectrum if you really think about it. But there's also a couple of other outliers, so I find um, a little bit of metal to be interesting from time to time. Not a huge metalhead, but I can sort of get the idea of, like, what I enjoy, which tends to be, you know, longer form kind of uh, almost math rocky prog rock kind of stuff um i really enjoy the occasional folk album so if you're thinking of something like fleet foxes or father john misty you'd be sort of heading in the right direction um i really enjoy a couple of more niche sort of genres so things like uh shoegaze which is sort of very methodical rock that sort of originated from the 90s i find extremely interesting um, I, I also really enjoy just most alternative and indie albums and sort of artists that 
don't really fall into one specific place. So if we're talking about more modern artists that just sort of do their own thing, like Tame Impala or Frank Ocean or those kinds of artists, I find them to be extremely interesting too. Um, but that's just sort of where I tend to pull my musical influences from. I, I try to keep it pretty broad just to make it as interesting for me as it, I hope to make it interesting for you as a listener. Um, but that's just kind of the background of how I view music in terms of like genre. Um, but going off of that, I just kind of wanted to talk about today, um, because we kind of have a special opportunity. Um, with the advent of the new decade, I feel as though it's important to talk about how genre and how sound is going to shift with this new decade, because as we know, listening to popular music at the time, you never notice what the trends are going to be until after they've already happened or after they're about to die. So I remember um, back in the 2000s, we had like bling hip hop was a huge thing. So you had like, you know, ringtone hip hop. We had like Soldier Boy and we didn't know that was a thing at the time, but that turned out to be like a huge thing that just came and went. But um, it, I think it's interesting to talk about that kind of stuff. So um so like for the 2000s, it would have been like ringtone hip hop and bling hip hop and all that kind of stuff. And then with the 2010s, it was obviously the advent of uh, hip hop that went more so for melodic, hazy um, production and uh, for lack of a better word, a vibe. Um, more about someone crooning over an instrumental rather than actually um, creating specific um, bars to rap over. Um, I found that to be sort of the biggest change in the 2010s for popular music was this sort of trend towards uh, production heavy alternative rap. Um, there was also at the same time a congruent change from very typical pop to more alternative pop genres. So um, I remember at the beginning of the decade, we had stuff like Katy Perry and uh, Ed Sheeran topping the charts, uh, Maroon 5, very um, very listenable and very enjoyable, but um, it's you'd be very hard-pressed to find someone now who I think would say that those are their favorite artists. Obviously, they'll listen to them from time to time, but it's not necessarily what they would say is like their passion, if that makes sense. Um, but now you find more alternative pop artists that are sort of topping the charts every time they put out a release, but they tend to shift the, uh, the I guess, the, the sort of stagnant nature of pop every time they release any sort of uh, material. So talking about someone like, uh, a good example would be Ariana Grande with her last couple of records. She sort of changed her approach from a very... Um, you know, singer-songwriter um, who demonstrates her vocals mostly as part of her music. So you have, like, Dangerous Woman, for example, would have been an example of that. But now we have more interesting instrumental changes and uh, samples that she's putting into her music with um, songs like God is Woman from Sweetener, or if we're talking about her latest record, we could talk about uh, Break Up With Your Girlfriend, I'm Bored, which I also heavily recommend because it's a great song. Um, but just stuff like that where there are little shifts that sort of change the paradigm of music I've found to be interesting within the pop sphere. Um, but just sort of, that's what I noticed from the 2010s. So I wanted to ask the question, um, how will music change in the 2020s? 
and I, I've thought about it a little bit, but um, I've sort of come to the conclusion that um, with the 2010s, we tended to focus heavily on production. A lot of music really revolved around the, um, the artists themselves or the band, which bands also kind of fell out of favor in the 2010s. Um, they sort of revolved around the music first rather than the uh, vocals or the instrumentation. So a lot of songs were differentiated not by who was singing them or who was creating them, but by what they were singing or creating over. And I found that to sort of influence almost every genre. And I think in the 2020s, we're going to start to wane away from that. That's that's sort of my hot take for this podcast. So I think within, with the 2020s, I think we're going to go back to a more instrumental and artist-focused or uh, not instrumental, a more uh, live instrumentation focused and artist focused um, vibe for most genres. So a good example would be if I was talking about folk music, a lot of folk musicians now, as of right now, would be differentiated by sort of their interesting little quirks that they put into the production and post-production of their albums rather than just like a singer-songwriter sitting in his chair or her chair picking at a guitar and singing over it. But I think with the 2020s, that's gonna start to come back into favor because production has started to sound stagnant due to a lack of uh, creativity lately. So when you listen to music right now, let's say just a good example, uh, hip hop, since that's sort of the number one genre as of right now. When you listen to hip hop, it becomes quite apparent especially as of late that production is starting to sound a little bit samey so um especially what ends up happening is uh with drum sets and drum kits that producers use for these uh hip-hop musicians they will take what is called an 808 which is sort of that deep bass drum hit that you're hearing which is not a real drum it's someone actually putting it into a computer and that's what's creating the sound you will have uh, specific kits that people will make and put into songs. And all these different producers that produce for all of these different artists can only do so many different things with those drum kits and uh, with timings to differentiate them. And it's gotten to a point where I feel you could take two different hip hop songs from two different artists who have no idea they're managing to do this. They're attempting to make something original. And if you overlay them, they might sound very, very similar not necessarily from the artist's voice or from what they're trying to do, but just the production backing it doesn't have enough variety due to the creativity we sort of waned off of to be able to differentiate itself. So I think all that to say, I think with the 2020s, my sort of guess would be that our um, idea for what music should be will sort of lean back into that sort of band oriented you know let's put all of our work into the music first and then throw out the faces after so i think another thing to talk about with that is that if we lean off of this production angle with the 2020s i think also the idea of the singer songwriter is going to fall out of favor which has been extremely huge in the 2010s so that's going to be a massive shift possibly even bigger granted if this happens because if you look at, say, the recently announced Coachella list, almost every artist on there is not a band. You have a couple. You have, like, 
King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard and like a few others, but most of the bands that are on that list are not bands at all. They are one person over instrumentals and doing their own voice, and that's just their whole brand is their their first and last name. So I think that might fall out of favor if production goes by the wayside for favor of live instrumentation, because if you're not able to put yourself out there as an individual, you're going to have to rely on those instrumentalists that are working with you with live instrumentation to make a name and to make music that people are going to enjoy. And that's something that only really live bands can do. And a live band isn't going to want to be named after one person. You're going to want to be named after, you know, all of you as a collective. So I think the idea of the singer-songwriter being the dominant form might fall out of favor. Um, but that's just sort of my take. I could totally see something completely different happening because music is so um, defined by extremely current culture. So I, I could have a different opinion tomorrow. I'm not really sure. But just talking about it in that sort of lens, I would personally make that statement. Um, I, it'll be interesting to see in like 2025 what ends up happening along that spectrum because we honestly don't know what's going to happen in 2020. So in 2025, we'll at least be deeply ingrained in the decade and we can sort of see what's going to happen. Um, but that's just that's just some food for thought. I thought it was interesting to talk about. Um, now, as for something specific that's happened recently, um, I should give a little background, is I'm a huge fan of the band Radiohead, which is, as some may already know, this extremely popular um, alt-rock group from the 90s that um, released an album called OK Computer back in the late 90s, which sort of sprang them to superstardom, and they never really fell off because they kept making artistic leaps that kept people coming back, and they also kept doing things that sort of shifted the music industry as a whole. So um, they've never really fallen out of favor for the last 30 or so years. All that to say is that they have a massive back catalog of shows and of photos and of all this different stuff that people want to see because they're still out there and they're, they're not, you know, dried up. They still have plenty of material. They still have plenty of uh, fans. They still have plenty of uh, commotion surrounding them. So I thought it was interesting to read recently and to visit this new website they made as of a couple days ago. I think as of the recording of this podcast, it was about three days ago. Um, they created something called the Radiohead Public Library. And it's this website that's really well made that essentially compiles all of their albums, of which there are nine, which is a lot. Um, and it essentially takes all of their tour footage it takes all of their photos, it takes all of their manuals, it takes all of the unreleased EPs and songs and stuff from each particular era of that band's career. Um, merchandise that came out at that time, pretty much anything that came out during any particular album's cycle. And it puts it into a category and just allows anyone to view and see that particular stuff. And this is stuff that you haven't been able to find in the last 20 years for some of these albums. So, for example, for their first album, Pablo Honey, which came out in, I, I want to say, 1993? I, I could be wrong on that. I'd have to fact check it. But, um, you know, this was the early 90s, and they just put back up merchandise for that album, which has probably not 
been officially sold in the last 30 years. So I kind of wanted to talk about this, A, because I enjoy that band and I want to recommend it. Again, it's called the Radiohead Public Library, and I suggest you go look at it because I think it's interesting to talk about it because I think it has some ramifications for other artists possibly doing similar things in the future. So if you take this band that's been around for 30 years and people are, you know, grabbing for anything they can get in terms of content, you know, Twitter or uh, artist statements or interviews or footage of the band playing, having all that stuff in one place owned by the band itself is one of the most pro-consumer things I've seen in a while in the music industry. I mean, a lot of artists will hide away and not show anything except for um, stuff that people may pay $200, $300 to go see. So, like, if you take an example of uh, pretty much any top 10 artist, they may not keep that footage of their uh, sets at festivals or shows or anything like that, but instead they'll just charge you $200, $300, $400 for these front row seats to go see them, and you'll never get to see it again. But I think this pro-consumer move gives us an idea of what could end up happening over time if we sort of shifted toward a pro-consumer, um, anti, not necessarily anti-label, but um, just sort of um, giving the label less power in that sort of sphere. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, if you're giving the label less power in that sphere, it gives the consumer more of an opportunity to engage with that content and to uh, enjoy the music that they want to enjoy. So my question is, if other artists and other bands did this in the coming years, decades, even centuries, I think it could prove to be a very interesting development. And I wanted to ask if these sort of royalty-free bends in music releasing might be the future so instead of having paid song platforms so like we had itunes we have uh spotify premium we have pandora i don't know if that's paid or not um iHeartRadio, just all these different things um even bandcamp for example anything where you can buy the specific song individually i believe i know itunes and bandcamp are like that i'm not sure about the others but um it might shift over time to more of a pay what you want or pay what the artist themselves wants you to pay rather than pay what the industry tells you to pay. So I want to explain what I mean by that is that um, a good example is Radiohead. So back in 2007, they released an album of theirs called In Rainbows and they put it out on the internet for a pay-what-you-want service model. So instead of releasing their album um, just in stores for however much an LP or a CD usually costs, um, I want to say CDs are were usually around 10 or 15 at the time, and LPs have always kind of been kind of expensive, 25, 30, something, something around that range. Um, they introduced a pay-what-you-want model, which sounds insane because it allows someone to pay absolutely nothing to buy the album rather than paying a, what would be considered a fair amount to keep them in working on new music and to keep them alive and well and able to feed their families, if that makes sense. 
Um, but what ended up happening was that there was an interview with the band's front runner, Tom York, who mentioned that doing that pay what you want service model ended up giving them more money at the end of the day than any of their other albums combined. Which, if you just let that sink in for a second, is indicative of how well a pro-consumer approach can work because it allows the consumer to get what they want, when they want, and how they want, while simultaneously, as shocking as it may be, giving the artist even more reason to continue making music. So this Radiohead Public Library, going back to that, is just another example of them going for that pro-consumer mindset. And if you ask me specifically, I would say it's an, it's a great example of a band giving their audience the benefit of the doubt and saying, look, we enjoy what you do for us, so we will give you what you want in exchange for you just enjoying what we make because that's what keeps us uh, paying our bills. So I wanted to just talk about that because I think I think it's a really interesting pro-consumer move. I think it's a really interesting website. Um, one last time, it's called the Radiohead Public Library. You can just search on the internet. Um, and I just wanted to talk about how I think other artists should maybe go in that direction at some point. Um, the last thing I sort of just wanted to talk about a little bit was just kind of what I've been listening to recently. So um, I've sort of been delving back into the genre of uh, dance and electronic a little bit. And uh, specifically, I watched a movie a couple of days ago uh, called Drive. Y'all probably heard of it. It's a Ryan Gosling movie. It's a really weird art house uh, action movie, which is kind of, uh, those should be mutually exclusive, but we won't talk about that. But um, anyway, it has this really interesting soundtrack that's composed almost entirely of synthwave which is a genre that is sort of designed to evoke the 80s sounds that many people find indicative of that time period. So a great example, if you haven't heard any Seth Wynn songs, um, if you've watched Stranger Things, the intro track would be something along those lines. So that sort of very punchy, very um, synthesized sort of sound that goes into that intro would be a great example of something that might be synth wavy or synth based. Um, so I've been sort of diving into that genre a little bit. Um, one of the big front runners in that genre is someone named Kavinsky who, uh, Kavinsky, who sort of is kind of like the poster child at this point for this genre. Um, and a couple of songs I just kind of wanted to bring up from that person. Again, his name is Kavinsky, which is K-A-V-I-N-S-K-Y. Um, a song called Night Call, which is actually the beginning song of Drive, which I thought was just the coolest thing ever to listen to. Um, it's one of those songs that makes you want to drive out in the middle of the night at two in the morning just because it sounds so cool to listen to. Um, I wanted to recommend that. Again, that was Night Call. And then I wanted to talk about a song called Odd Look. And the reason I talk about Odd Look is that, firstly, I just think the production's really interesting and cool and fun to listen to, but also has about a million remixes. And so you could kind of get an idea of how many different people, uh, how many different ways people can go over a synthwave track and still make it work. Um, so anyway, that one was called Odd Look. And then the one before it was called Night Call. So uh, synthwave has been pretty interesting to me recently. And um, 
Another thing I've been listening to was a little bit of trip-hop. Um, trip-hop being a genre that sort of defines itself as a mixture between um, obviously hip-hop and a little bit of like punchy electronic music. Um, a good example is Portishead, which I know isn't the biggest band in the world, but I think it's a very interesting uh, band to listen to if you've never heard of the genre, because I think it's one of the best bands in the genre. Another uh, band that's in that same vein would be Massive Attack. Um, and just, I, I wanted to recommend a couple albums of those, uh, of, of the trip-hop genre, just to sort of get someone started. Um, so, for trip-hop, I wanted to recommend a album called Dummy, which is by Portishead. And uh, specifically, on Dummy, I think um, a good song to be listening to would be Wandering Star. So I think that would be a really good way to get an idea of just sort of what the genre is all about. Um, has a really nice female vocalist who um, sounds perfect over all the instrumentation and production. So I think that would be really fun to listen to um, if you're not familiar already. And even if you are, it's just a great song. So uh, again, that was Wandering Star off of the album Dummy from Portishead. Um, and then the other album I wanted to talk about was Massive Attack's Mezzanine, which is M-E-Z-Z-A-N-I-N-E. -E. Um, Mezzanine by Massive Attack. And I wanted to talk about the song uh, Teardrop. And if you listen to that song, you might end up recognizing that it's actually the theme song for the show House. Um, so if you've ever heard that song, you'll immediately recognize it. Um, but I think that would be a really interesting listen for someone who's never listened to trip hop because they'll see how many different places that genre actually ends up coming into effect. Like you would never think that a genre called trip hop would show up in a random TV show that ran for however many seasons. So, um, th that's sort of what I've been listening to. Um, as for anything else, um, I've sort of dap uh, dipped my toes a little bit into jazz recently. Um, I've been listening to a lot of different playlists, um, and uh, I just kind of wanted to recommend a couple artists. Um, I think anyone who thinks jazz is interesting whatsoever should listen to Miles Davis. I mean, obviously that's a very regular pick, but just an absolutely incredible musician who makes incredible jazz. Or um, So Kind of Blue by Miles Davis is a great example. Um, Listening to John Coltrane would also be good, just if you wanted to dip your toes into that genre as a whole. Um, so I guess for an album, I would recommend for John Coltrane, Miles Davis. Uh, for Miles Davis, I do Kind of Blue, and for John Coltrane, I'd recommend A Love Supreme. Um, and then just one other jazz album I wanted to recommend would be uh, Weather, or Weather Report is the name of the artist, and this is sort of an older jazz group that sort of has these really funky, groovy sounds that, to me, make jazz extremely fun to listen to, which I know isn't what most people think of when they think of jazz, but it kind of reminds me of that fun, silly, live instrumentation feel you get from listening to jazz in person. So I wanted to say for anyone who doesn't actually enjoy jazz and they know they don't like jazz, highly recommend you listen to this uh, band called Weather Report. Again, older band, but it just sort of gives off that live feeling. Uh, for the album, I'd want to recommend the album Heavy Weather. Um, but that's that's sort of what I've been listening to lately. Um, hopefully this hasn't been too, too, too boring since it's just me monologuing for the last 30 minutes or so. But um, yeah, I hope just giving you an idea of my background in musical taste and talking about um, 
how I thought genre was going to change and just sort of what I've been listening to, uh, random news. I hope that sort of continues to be the format. Um, I know this wasn't the longest podcast in the world, but hopefully it won't be a monologue next time. Um, but hopefully you enjoyed. Um, as of right now, it's currently unnamed, but um, my name is Seth Chambliss, and uh, this has been Seth Chambliss's uh, currently unnamed music podcast, and uh, hope you enjoyed. Thank you.